You found the Love Flight Podcast. I'm Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach, and I've been helping Nervous Flyers since 1997. So in this podcast, you are going to find aviation experts, psychologists, coaches, enthusiasts, and people normal, just like you, who have overcome their fears. Welcome. Uh, so welcome to this week's uh, Love Flight podcast. Today we're joined by Chris Schaefer. I hope I got that pronounced right. Yes. And Chris has got a hell of a story to tell. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us your, you know, where you are in the world and uh, how you came to, well, to be here, basically. Sure. So uh, again, my name is Chris. I'm from the Midwest here in the United States from uh, Indiana, uh, about mm-hmm. three hours south of Chicago. I find that usually helps the European folks kind of position me geographically. <laughs> but yeah, I so the, the long and short of the story is that I uh, was a nervous flyer for the last 10 years or so of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, felt that it was really restricting a lot of my uh, options in life. And yeah. I turned 35 this year and decided I'm, I'm done with it. Okay, that's great. That's a good, lovely. I wish everyone would do that. That's such a lovely little snapshot. Okay. So you said for 10 years. So so presumably then you were, fly, you were either flying before that or you decided at 25, I don't like flying and you hadn't flown. So let's tell us about the, the, the history of the fear, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So it's it's hard. I tried to kind of break this down into chunks, and this is kind of the best I was able to make sense of it. So back when I was younger, and maybe before I was a teenager, my family used to fly all the time. Mm. Uh, we had relatives down in Florida, not a huge flight, but you know, maybe five, six hours down there. We used to go all the time. I don't remember a time in my youth where I wasn't flying down there. When I reached teenage years, you know, I got a little bit more involved with school, you know, academics started being a little bit more of a lift. So we we took family trips, but they weren't as regular. And then at some point during college, I think I had just kind of gotten out of the practice of flying, if that makes any sense. Hmm. And when I was 21 or 22, I got on a plane to go out to Boston to visit a friend in college. And I realized, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Oh, wow. So so what was going on then that sort of triggered that, do you think? I mean, apart from being out of the habit of it. I think it was a combination of things. I Not to bring this dark, but I experienced a, a decent amount of loss in my life. Grandparents, uh, my father passed away when I was younger. So it was kind of a combination of the, this yeah. sort of swelling idea that people don't need to be around for a while. And and that sort of just cemented into this weird fear that, oh, you know, maybe there are things out there that aren't super safe for me to do. And for some reason, flying became one of those for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, that, yeah. So there was a whole bunch of stuff going on there that's, uh, you know, like, you know, the tough side of life is impacted upon you and maybe filtered through to flying. So you did that flight to Boston. And did you do the flight or did you kind of, I forget off. I did, what happened there? 
I did the flights and I was actually able to take one more flight after that. At the age of 23, I flew out to LA to go visit one of my friends who had just moved out there. One of my best friends in the world definitely wanted to, you know, make sure that we still saw each other, despite the fact that we were many, you know, hundreds of miles away. By the way, you know, uh, if you've got other friends that are going to listen to this, there may be some jealousy. You just, they just got labeled best friend. So just point it out there, you know, if you wanted to correct, now would be a good time. You know, I'll go on record. Definitely one of my best buddies. So I flew out there, had a wonderful time. And then on the way back, I had a connecting flight from LA to Las Vegas. Mm. And on the way into Las Vegas, the pilot came over and said, hey, I was speaking to the pilots in front of us. There have been some wildfires on the ground. So pushing up a lot of turbulent air. Um, So just strap in, be ready for it. And for some reason, that just set me off. Um, mm. I, I started panicking. I there and, you know, well, instantly sort of that, that was it. Being before the turbulence arrived, you started having some, yeah. You know, the funny thing is I remember the pilot coming over and saying that I don't remember anything about the bumpiness at all. I don't, I don't know if there even was any bumpiness. It was just the, the notion of, Hey, we've, you know, we're going to hit something unexpected, strap in for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the brain goes to some pretty scary places when things crop up like that. So mm-hmm. needless to say, I made it home alone, but that was sort of the final straw for me at the age of 23. I thought, you know, maybe flying's just not for me anymore. Right. And, and so when you say maybe, is that, is that what happened? It is. Uh, it wasn't maybe at all. You just stopped. <laughs> I just stopped. You know, I um, I, I did shift though. I, you know, for a long time, I felt, you know, this is not going to impact my quality of life. I'm still going to take trips, but I'm going to start driving out there. Mm-hmm. So cue about 10 years of just really horrifically long drives. Um, I, I drove maybe 12, 14 hours to go. I was going to ask that, Chris. So 12, 14. Yeah, it's, you know, you can rationalize it in the time, but looking back, it's um, pretty obvious how your life gets affected when you decide Mm. that you're not going to do things like get on airplanes anymore. Yeah, so just out of interest then, so aside from that massive driving, what other impact did it have? You know, it was really just this notion of, I'm not able to do this. It kind of, I put myself in a box and I I think that that kind of manifested itself in a lot of ways. I I just kind of felt like a less capable person. I felt like there was kind of this fear that was baked into me. Mm. And for a really long time, it it did lessen my self-esteem. Right. Um, And that's one of the reasons why when I turned 35, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and said, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. I want, I want confidence. You know, it wasn't just about, you know, going to different places in the world. It was really like looking at my own reflection and saying, I would like to change something major about this. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah. So you had 10 years of just driving, avoiding, uh, anybody else has this impacted upon? Is it, uh, was it just, were you just carrying the whole burden of this missing flights? You know, my my family really rallied around me, and they made it just kind of the the understood notion that if trips are going to happen, it's going to take a little while longer. Um, we're going to hop in the car, and it's you know tensions tend to run high when you're in the car with somebody for 14 hours, even if you've known them for their entire life. So yeah, uh, yeah, there were definitely some of my personal relationships were affected by that. So thank thank you to all the people who put up with me for that period of my life. It was uh, it was tough. Mm. And yes, I mean, it's nice to have, it's always a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's great to have that support base, 
you know, people sort of get it and they go, fine, you know, we're not going to fly, we'll, we'll drive here or we'll just miss out on those particular opportunities. Um, but there comes a point where that sort of support wears thin, I imagine. Yeah, it, it's the support, like you said, is great. But uh, when you've already sort of drawn the box around yourself and other mm-hmm. people kind of, you know, highlight over it, it it really does cement that notion that, okay, this is just, you know, uh, a limitation that we're all going to have to deal with. So, yeah, so that that's an interest. So it's always worth sort of like thinking about the impact, how it sort of like ripples out to others. So what was your... Oh, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but what was your belief system around flying then during that 10 years in terms of safety or peril that you could be in or whatever? What were you telling yourself? I think the main thing that I was telling myself is that, uh, you know, as silly as it sounds now, it's that if I set foot on an airplane, there is no guarantee that I will set foot off that airplane. So it was it really felt like a matter of life and death for me. Um <laughs> I'm a very analytical person when it comes to, you know, when I want something to be a part of my life, I really kind of analyze it, you know, hold it, move it around and really try to understand it from a a basic fundamental level. And once the fear really set in, that was the last thing that I wanted to do with flying. Yeah. So part of overcoming it for me was just learning about it. Yeah, don't get us. No, go to. We'll go to that in a minute. We want to know about all that. We want to enjoy the story. So, you know, because what we're trying to do is build a picture in people's minds as they're listening, thinking, "Oh, you know," because you make it sound a bit too easy. Otherwise, you know, and it obviously wasn't. Otherwise, you wouldn't have avoided it for so long. So, for ten years, you're driving these hideous journeys uh, with the support, which obviously we've established that sometimes that might have been a little bit tested uh, on the longer journeys and. Did, did it have any impact in terms of your work or any other sort of lifestyle choices that you had to make? There were definitely times where I think that travel would have been possible for me professionally, but I got passed over because they thought, oh, Chris would never go out there. You know, it's we, we can't just toss him in the car. We'd have to get on a plane. So let's mm. keep him grounded. You know, the, the major way that it manifested itself for me was I'm a, I'm a pretty calm person, don't have a lot of major fears in my life, but yes. without fail, the only nightmares that I ever had from that 10-year period were all about flying. Yeah. It was either being in an airport, it was, you know, being in line to board the plane, it was actually being in the cabin, and I would just wake up some nights in cold sweats just about oh, wow. the idea of going around anything related to flying. Yeah. So your idea then, because you said earlier, you know, you step on a plane, you step foot on a plane, but you wouldn't be able to step off. So, you know, spell it out then. What did you? What was your kind of scenario or scenarios that you thought would happen to you? You know, I I think that the brain just goes to extremes. It's you know, there's going to be an explosion. Someone's going to try to take over the plane. Just this mm-hmm. this notion that something unknown could happen to me and. I would die up there in the air or in some fiery, awful Hollywood crash. So you were, you were quite good then at running this sort of, these disaster movies, aren't you, in your head? You know, I work in marketing, so I can kind of sell myself any idea. <laughs> okay, interesting, yeah. So you, you're creative then. That's uh, not helpful, it turns out, in a few 10 years. 
All right. So then this, so that's really interesting. Okay. So what was the, what was the decision? What happened at 35 that made you go enough is enough and, and, and then talk us through that, the process. And don't skip yeah. over any steps because we, we we want all the wisdom. All right, Chris. Sure. There's two things. So let's start chronologically. So last year I had the chance to take a trip. My girlfriend at the time was working for a company out in Vermont, uh, which I had previously driven to, but it really didn't make sense to drive out there. So we decided to get on a plane. It was my first time even going inside of an airport in a, about a decade. Yeah. And the entire time leading up, I had been telling her, you know, this is my number one fear. This is going to be really bad. I don't know if I can really do this. Mm -hmm. And by the time we boarded the plane, uh, I was full on sobbing, uh, just tears running down my face. Yeah. Uh, I had, you know, clicked myself into my seatbelt, pulled it tight, uh, mm -hmm. just in case that would help in case of emergency. And I remember looking over and my girlfriend just had this horrified look on her face like oh no he really wasn't lying about this yeah. this is a I, I thought that you know maybe he was a little bit uncomfortable on planes mm. but this is a full-blown panic attack that's happening yeah. here so that was was she able to help at all was it or did she just was she just so shocked you know what to do there was definitely some shock. She was very helpful, though. Um, what I ended up doing, uh, this was, you know, I had no plan going into it aside from fingers crossed. Uh, what I ended up doing was just talking her ear off for the entire flight. Mm. Uh, I thought that if I kept my mouth moving, that I could keep my brain from going to those horrible, scary places. So okay. for, the, yeah. for the two hour flight, I really just gabbed on about anything that made sense at the time. So it was, um, it was not a pleasant experience for her. No. And for for me, it was just trying to stave off this kind of creeping shadow in the back of my mind. Mm. I was sitting in the window seat, so I closed the window, made sure that nothing scary out there could get to me. I mostly had my eyes closed, trying to run through different breathing techniques and, you know, mm. sort of mindfulness techniques that would keep me away from panic. So you had, to, so it sounds like you had some resources available to you you know because you're talking about some breathing and some mindfulness so you'd obviously was that stuff you knew anyway or had you prepared in some way even though it was yeah at that point i had about five years of talk therapy under my belt just about life related stuff nothing mm -hmm. flying specific but a lot of those resources that my therapist was able to arm me with for different parts of my life did definitely come in handy right yeah so that's really interesting so you're kind of you were already working on it then, weren't you, without realizing it? Because it's you just taking a sort of a broader approach to it. It sounds like you weren't going specifically for fear of flying. Okay, that makes sense. So you, so presumably you had to fly back as well. What was that like? Um, just about as bad as the way out there, honestly, Paul. <laughs> with with the exception that the last two days or so of the trip were completely ruined because I was just worrying about you know yeah. getting on that plane. Yeah. Um, I remember just going to coffee shops out in Vermont. It was this lovely little town. It was a beautiful day. There was so much, so many things that I could have been doing, but I was sitting there with a cup of coffee in my hand and just sweating and panicking over, yeah. you know, what that two hour flight was going to look like for me. Yeah. So no, yeah, well, that's quite a common thing. So I'm sure you uh, understand. Okay. So you said that there was two things that happened. And one of them was getting this 
flight. So what was the other thing that made you go enough's enough? The other thing was sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. So I'm, I'm a big music fan, big into um, sort of 1970 music. And one of my favorite artists, Brian Eno, uh, announced that he was going to have just a handful of shows across Europe and that he was not coming to the U.S. So a lot of these old rock and roll guys from the 60s and 70s are kind of on their last leg, musically speaking. So I I kind of thought to myself, it's now or never to mm-hmm. see this guy. Um, he was playing in, again, just a handful of European cities, but one of them was Berlin. And Germany is one of the places that I've always wanted to go. Okay. So I decided this is my chance. Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of coupled with that energy of turning thirty-five and thinking, you know, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. This felt like a good enough reason to kind of put the pedal to the metal and actually put mm-hmm. things into practice. Yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting. So you've got, so you've had that experience with your girlfriend Verbon and how that went. You've also got this really positive thing that you're going towards. So you're kind of meeting some of the criteria which I've noticed in people, which is that that moment of motivation where you kind of go. Do you know what? I'm sick of this. You had the sort of the age thing, the positive thing to go towards, wanting to go to Germany. So there's lots of towards energy there. And then a couple of and ten years of crap behind you, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it was nice to have, you know, putting your eye on the prize definitely mm-hmm. helped. So I um I, I'm I'm not gonna say that I was any sort of, you know, the courageous superhero. I, I did have my girlfriend at the time actually buy the plane tickets for me. It was a little bit too much anxiety to actually click that purchase button. Yeah. Um, but I uh, we we did it uh, about three months in advance of my trip. So Okay. Uh, I was gonna that was my next question, which is right. So we let's see what the lot the lead is. So you've got so you've got your trip. So when was when was the Berlin trip? Uh, the trip was the last week of October. Okay. All right. So three months before that, booked. And then you've had this three-month time span to do. So to talk us through what you did in order. Don't spare any details, Chris. You know, we don't want you cutting it all out, you know. Just no funny marketing spin on it. Just give us it as it is. <laughs> Sure. Um, the if if I'm being honest, the first month was mostly avoidance. I, yep. I had this, you know, this grand notion of, you know, the day after I buy these plane tickets, I'm mm-hmm. really going to hit the books. I'm going to start mm-hmm. looking around for resources. I'll find podcasts. I'll find courses. Maybe I'll, you know, enlist the help of uh, a new therapist or, um, you know, maybe go do EMDR. Really try to hammer this out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, the first month was just sort of panic mode about, oh, no, this is finally happening. Um, I don't want a repeat of last time. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be in the air for much, much longer. It's about an eight-hour flight over there. So um, really just sort of internal panic. The nightmares definitely kept creeping in. um, And after I knew it, 30 days were gone. And um, then I had two months left to prepare. Yeah. So I I see that stage is slightly different to you so you well they might call it avoidant there is um and one of the behavior change models i'm thinking of they call it the sort of the, the pre-contemplation or the you know where you're kind of know you need to do something but you're kind of just not quite committed to it yet and it's a, like a it's like a pivotal moment when that sort of switches over and so after 30 days what happened then 
after 30 days, that's when I really dug into it. I decided, you know, I, I would much rather panic about it here while my feet are still firmly on the ground instead of panicking when I'm, you know, however many thousand feet up in the air over the Atlantic. So um, I'm a huge podcast listener. Excuse me. Take that one again. Uh, I'm a huge podcast listener. So yeah. I thought that would be the natural first place to go. Um, and the Lumpfly podcast was one of the first things that popped up there. So I gave the first couple episodes a listen, thought that, you know, hey, things are pretty good here. Um, got a nice calming host. Uh, so I thought I would dive into it. And I'm somewhat of a completionist, so I like to start things from the very beginning. So I just started from episode one and just okay. started working my way through. Oh so I think God. that I ended up with listening to about 50 of your episodes before I uh, finally got on the plane and just for every single one of them, just started taking notes um, oh. for things that I found helpful and uh, actually filled a decent part of a notebook with it, which I kind of kept on hand when I was eventually on the plane. Okay. So you literally, you, you went through the first 50, so that presumably you still got 100 to go of you. Yeah. yeah, you've really been cranking these out. Good job. Um, yeah, so I, I went through about 50 of them. I uh, downloaded your book, read a couple chapters of that, and then I actually ended up uh, purchasing the course as well, the 30-day course. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I ran out of 30 days to complete that, so that's still sitting on my shelf uh, whenever okay. I need it. But yeah. yeah. So uh, so you, you really went for it, didn't you? So you did 50, 50 podcasts. Oh my goodness! So, did you do literally the first fifty? Because I'm trying to think what we covered in that. I and did. also, as as it's evolved, I would say I've got more relaxed with it. So, I listen. I, I accidentally listened to some of the early ones, like the really early ones. I was cringing, like, oh my goodness! But you know, it's an evolving thing. That's one of the things I love about doing podcasts because it's a bit, it's a bit raw. You, you don't overly edit it unless you particularly want to be ridiculous about it, and so we don't. But you say you suffered 50 of those and the 30-day program. Wow. You know, I think that kind of the the unedited nature of it actually helped because it just mm. sounded like a conversation between two normal folks. Mm. And by the end of it, I thought, hey, if if normal people like the ones that are on the Love Fly podcast can go and fly to incredible places, then I mm. guess I can too. So there's a couple episodes in particular that helped me out. Um, the first one was episode 22 with Pete Higgins, uh, during the first maybe 15, 20 minutes or so, Pete talks about recommendations for a long flight. Mm. Um, and I thought for about eight hours that my flight was going to be, that would be pretty helpful. So one of Pete's recommendations and folks can obviously go back and listen to that episode, but one of the recommendations was just make check boxes for each hour and just have an activity in mind for just blocks of time. For the first hour, just kind of take note what's happening around you. you know, yeah. Know what's going to happen with the plane, what those noises are, what that feeling is, yeah. and just kind of get in the mind space and the physical space of being on an airplane. Mm. For hour two, time to look around the cabin, see what's going on with everybody else in there. You know, maybe crack open a book if you want to. So mm. using that technique, I just had a physical checklist for eight hours. Mm. And when an hour passed, I flipped open my notebook. I checked it off and said, okay, I don't have to worry about that first hour anymore. That's behind me. Let's move on to hour two. And just by dividing the time up like that, mm. it felt like my time in the air went a lot quicker. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, yeah, Pete is great. 
you know, I don't know if you've got his flight checklist as well that he gifted. I don't know if you've seen that. The... I've got something like that. There was uh, an episode 46, uh, Captain Steve also went through the stages of flight. So it was That's kind of right. a combination of those two that yeah. um, finally helped me wrap my head around what exactly was going on. All those scary noises that I was hearing had some sort of rhyme or reason to them. So yeah. So those are the two that you'd recommend then, set 22 and 46. Any others? Uh, those are the two. Um, yeah, those are, those are the two main ones that helped me. Outside of that, um, I found that it was really helpful to listen to just average people. You know, you have so many uh, amazing professionals on there from the cabin crew to the pilots to people, mm -hmm. you know, on the ground uh, in the flight tower. But I thought that hearing from just normal people like me uh, was incredibly helpful. Yeah. Uh, there were a few where people just talked about, you know, gearing up for, you know, very short flights, gearing up for very long flights. And again, it was kind of this notion that everybody else has had their turn to you know, face their fear, to be brave, to go see incredible things across the world. And at some point it just felt like, well, I, I guess I can do those things too. Yeah. Well, there you are. So you're part of it now. So you did the you did the podcast you did our thirty day program thank you very much we're about to relaunch it actually we're redoing it so and um, just because we did it in thirty days so I literally did a, a, a video a day to try and keep it a bit sort of real but we've we've gone back over it again and thought oh, we need to change it so we there's a new version coming out but um, I still think the uh, the old one seems to be very popular and uh, it surprised us how much how many people have, have committed to it to do the so when you did the 30 day have you got any tips around to how to make the best of that for those that have done it or are thinking of doing it i think the thing is just making it a regular part of your routine um i just found that carving out a little time every single day was what was most helpful regardless of how whether you do it laying in bed whether you do it first thing in the morning you know what the actual curriculum is I think the most important thing is just kind of tr treat it and treat it like school. Honestly, I mean, every every one of us listening went through the educational program on one side or the other of the Atlantic, but just kind of making it a consistent, regular thing. Mm -hmm. Hearing people talk about the thing that you're afraid of, purposefully exposing yourself to that, watching videos of the thing that is driving your fear. Just exposure therapy goes a really long way. And I think yes. just making it a habit is what's the most important part. Yeah, I like that. So anything else that you did? This is great stuff, by the way, Chris. So anything else that you did that uh, in that two months that you had? I think that was mostly it. You know, I um, people kept telling me, oh, I'm so excited for your trip. It's going to be so, so fun for you. You know, I, I can't wait to hear about X, Y, or Z. Um, I really didn't allow myself to feel any level of excitement until I was physically on the ground in Germany. It was just kind of, I was, I was putting myself through the paces, making sure that I had these kind of mental tools to actually yeah. get on that aircraft and, you know, not panic and freak out while I was up there. Okay. So, so we'll come to that. So what about the, for the two months, so you, you did a lot. I mean, that's, there's no small thing doing the podcast. You do, you know, do 50 of them. And, and also doing as much as the 30-day program as you could. Did you have any nightmares or anything during that time or any anticipatory anxiety? Yeah, there were definitely a few nightmares that were creeping up into it. 
And nothing particularly scary happened in those nightmares. It wasn't like, you know, huge explosions. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the Hollywood sort of thing. <laughs> it was just kind of this sinking fear of being sat in an airplane and waiting for takeoff. Yeah. That was yeah. that was kind of the driving feeling was this moment of anticipation, but still with this lingering fear behind it. Okay. So that's that was why, the reason I asked that is that sometimes people think that they'll do the work and then they'll just be skipping down the jetway to jump on the aircraft. And, and actually, so you're, you're proof that you were still battling some of those things, thoughts and feelings, and still moving towards it. I think that's really interesting and quite reassuring, isn't it? You know, there were definitely a few coping mechanisms, even the day of, where I, I had this huge swell of anxiety, but I was just kind of getting by above the surface. Um, the the first thing was that I my mother was gracious enough to drive me to the airport, but before we left, I made her hand over the keys so I could physically drive myself there, and that felt like I was taking some sort of ownership over it, saying, you know, I'm I'm purposefully driving toward the airport. I'm not being dragged along. <laughs> Um, I'm not being dumped off there against my will. Yeah. So it, in in the future, that's something that I would really like to just not even be on the radar. You know, however you get to the airport is going to be fine one way or the other. But already the morning of, I was sort of trying to take this active role and, and leaning on these techniques that you know I I thought would keep me safe and keep me confident. Okay, so that's great. So that was that was you sort of making a decision, wasn't it, in the moment? So tell us how you then actually did the flight because you said it was about eight hours or something like that so it's, it's no small flight is it if you've had that two hour horrible one not so long ago so what was your process in terms of what did you do how long before did you check in walk us through yeah how you managed sure so i got to the airport about three hours early just hoping that i had enough time to get through security Security was maybe 15 minutes of that three hours. So unfortunately, I was kind of left to my own devices and just stewing my own anxiety for about two and a half hours. Um, but what I did with that time was I whipped out a notebook and I started just physically writing down some of those um, some of those checklists from uh, Pete Higgins and from Captain Steve. Mm. So I, I wrote down physically the stages of flight. So I would have those with me on paper when I was up in the air. So aircraft check, two hours pre-flight. Here's what's going on to the cabin crew and on the flight deck. Uh, the boarding process, you know, here are the procedures that they're following up there. When the aircraft starts backing up, the engines are starting. What are the noises that you're hearing? You know, what, what's that rattling? Is that scary? Should they be concerned about that? All that sort of minutia, just being able to write it down um, and and kind of take control over it is what helps me eventually push past that anxiety. But while I was writing out, it's this is not my finest handwriting here, Paul. It's it's a little <laughs> bit shaky. It's uh, definitely some nerves. Yeah. But but one of the things that I did for each of those sections is again I just made that checkbox next to it. Yeah. So after you know I get on the aircraft, okay, well that means that the cabin crew and the flight deck have already you know completed all their checks. I can check that box off and not worry about that anymore. Okay, everybody's on the plane. We're backing up. That means the boarding process is done. Let's go ahead and check that off. Don't need to worry about that anymore either. I love that. That's really cool. And and, and the fact you're doing that for yourself, aren't you? So you're using some of the wisdom. So you 
So how were you when you got on board the aircraft in terms of, you know, how aware of you of your surroundings and all the rest of it? Uh, incredibly aware, uh, to a fault actually. So, but while I was waiting, uh, one of the recommendations that I got from your podcast was, uh, just go speak to somebody at the desk before you start boarding and just let them know, Hey, I'm a bit of a nervous flyer. Is there anything that can be done? You know, should I, should I tip off the, uh, the cabin crew? So I, I went up and there was a, a, a lovely gentleman who was working at the desk and I, I marched up there and said, hi there, my name's Chris. I'm boarding this flight here soon. I'm a nervous flyer. Just wanted to let you know. And he looked back at me with the just blankest expression and he says, what do you want me to do about that? Helpful. And, yeah, very helpful. Um, so, so I kind of bumbled my way around and said, Hey, you know, I, I just heard this on a podcast. You know, I was hoping that, you know, I would just let somebody know, just, you know, if you see mm. something, say something. And, um, eventually he, he did turn around and say, Hey, you know what? We actually do have a pre-boarding that was going to happen. If you'd like, you can come ahead of all the other groups. You're welcome to go get settled in. But as soon as you get on the plane, definitely let somebody on there now. So I, I was able to get on a little bit early. And did that, uh, you know. does that help? Is that something you'd recommend? It, it did. You know, uh, the, the previous flight that I took where I was incredibly nervous and ended up just this big ball of nerves and tears, mm -hmm. I was, I believe, the last person to board that plane. Right. I was terrified to actually, you know, put one foot in front of the other and get on this thing. Yeah. So this this notion that I was invited on early and had the opportunity to go get settled in, get my things out of my bag and stow everything away, it, it really did help. And mm -hmm. just being able to sit down in my chair and watch everybody else calmly get on the plane and, you know, the, their worries not about safety, their worries about, hey, is this bag going to fit in the overhead compartment or not? Uh, it, it did a lot to relieve some of that stress. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So that's interesting. So you got on board, sat down, watched everyone else come on. And then how did, tell us about how the next eight hours unfolded. Was there any sort of peaks and troughs? Yeah. So the, the first thing that I did, uh, like I said, was kind of consult my flight checklist. Here's mm. what's going on with the plane. Here's the noise that you're hearing. Here's the feeling that you're feeling. Yeah. Once we got up in the air, the captain came over and introduced himself and also said, hey, in about half an hour, we're going to be over Boston and things are going to get a little bit choppy. So that's when the first alarm went off in my head. I whipped out my notebook and I started writing down, you know, oh, no, there's going to be turbulence for 45 minutes. You know, we're smooth sailing afterwards, but oh, no, what am I going to do about that? Hmm. So what I ended up doing was pretty much like I've described my little you know, checkbox situation. So what I wrote down was uh, turbulence timer, and then I made four different boxes. There's going to be 40 minutes of turbulence, so I have four boxes here. After the first 10 minutes, I'll check off the first box. 20 minutes, check off the second one, and so I forth. It. I love it. I haven't heard anyone do that, but that is a really... Really smart thing to do, isn't it? Just to break it down. So, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. First of all, did the actual did the turbines arrive as promised? It didn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not so that, that's sod's law. That's as we say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so the other question then is that I often ask. I don't. I sometimes when I remember to ask, would you prefer to know at the beginning of the flight, like that captain did, and say, "Hey, there might be some chop," you know. Uh, 
even if it doesn't arrive, or would you prefer just to, to not know at all? What's your what's your preference? Going back and forth on this, I you know, as soon as he said there was going to be turbulence, my mind just went back to that trip um, flying from LA into Las Vegas, where oh no, there's going to be turbulence, and now I'm mm-hmm. going to panic and freak out about it. Yeah. But I I think just because I had that point of comparison, well, if it was terrifying for me to have it sprung on me, maybe having a little bit of warning ahead of time will be better. Okay, um, and it gave me just enough time to think about what my plan was when the turbulence did arrive. And again, that plan was making my little checkbox system. But really, I think that having a little bit of forewarning at least gives you those time to access those resources that you've built up ahead of time. So you've got those ready and ready to go when the turbulence does hit. So, and the turbulence didn't arrive. Did you go and no. complain? <laughs> Where's my turbulence? I thought about it, you know. Check it's, bo- I've got check boxes. What's going to? What's your fifth one? No turbulence. Tip <laughs> for all the mental anguish you put yourself through, and it doesn't end up happening. Yeah, it's. I, I felt a little cheated out of it, honestly. Yeah, you should get some sort of money back. Where's my bloody <laughs> a voucher? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, free drink on landing. So okay, so you went through the flight. You had you were you had already decided what you were going to do per hour. Were you able to do that? Did you do that? You know, I found out that I didn't even need the checklist for the most part. Mm-hmm. Things just kind of came naturally. Um, but it was nice to have a plan to fall back on. Right. So I, you know, my my list included things like, you know, I'll play a video game for one hour, um, you know, read a book for two hours, watch a three hour movie, things of that nature. So in the end, I mostly just ended up listening to podcasts and looking out the window, but it was nice to sort of have the fallback. Hang hang on a second, Chris. Looking out the window. Let's just not pass that. Earlier on, remember we had the blind down in case anything scary came at you. And now you're looking out the window. What's going on? Nothing gets past you, Paul. Yeah, I, I think part of accepting the the inherently safe nature of flight Mm. was not just understanding that hey this machine that we're on is perfectly safe it's going to go through its own motions to get us over there but it was also really confronting the idea that hey you're several thousand feet up in the air right now once again perfectly safe but also let's really soak it in. Let's see what it's like out there. And it turns out, at least in my brain, looking out and just seeing the sun coming up over the clouds was, it's, it was beautiful. I, it's something that I hadn't seen for over 10 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And just being able to look out the window with intention and see that was it. Uh, you know, the, the previous time that I cried on an airplane was a panic. This time it kind of brought a tear to my eye because I was seeing something that you just don't get to see in your day to day unless no. your feet are off the ground. No, it, it is something quite, it's very easy to take it for granted when you fly all the time, but when you don't fly for a while and then you go and do it and you look out and you go, wow, you know, these views you know, look down on cities, see sunrises, sunsets, all this stuff. It's just phenomenal. And that's just something you kind of reminded me that that, that the sheer beauty that there is, isn't there? You know, and how lucky we are really to be able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, 
I really owed it to myself after 10 years of avoiding it to really just take it for what it was worth. And yeah. it was just incredible. It, it really was. I, I, if next time I fly, I'm definitely going to try to get a window seat as well, because I'd really like to look out there again. And I love the language there. Next time I fly, there was no if. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. You know, it's a, that's that's really positive, affirmative language, isn't it? You know, next time I fly, I can look out the window. And I, I do think there is something about being in the moment because there's this thing I've been wrestling with, and I know some people will, will, won't like this, but I'm going to say it: the the noise cancelling headphones for you know people have said you know so I can pretend I'm not on an aircraft. And I kind of go, I can get it if you don't like the sound, you just want to be distracted, that's fine. Or perhaps you just like the peace and quiet, I get that. But pretending I'm not on the aircraft is almost robbing yourself of the next level of experience that you've just described, isn't it? So you've, you know, you're numbing yourself to it rather than going towards it, embracing it. So I'd say anyone who's using noise cancelling headphones because you want to pretend you're not on an airplane, take one ear off and just, you know, <laughs> experiment. Yeah, it's, you know, as long as you're able to get on an airplane confidently and complete the journey, I think that's wonderful. I think it definitely comes in stages, though, mm. because if you're on there, you're wearing the noise-canceling headphones. Tr truth be told, I still wore mine, my noise-canceling headphones. It was mostly just so I could listen to music. Oh, thank God I didn't say put my foot in my mouth there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that you only truly overcome a fear when you can face it head on. And I, I think that if you are uh, leaning into disassociation or avoidance, then there's always more work to do. You know, you've, you've taken one major step forward, yeah, but yeah. you kind of got your target on the next thing that you can work on. Yeah. I feel like I've given you a bit of a kick in now because I'm saying, you know, so, but, but yeah, I, I do agree. It is about doing what you can manage. And then the next time, doing a bit more, you know, do it because it's a, a never ending thing, isn't it? So then you, if you choose to wear the noise cancelling headphones or the eye masks or whatever, or shut the blinds, that's the choice. But when the choice is made for you, then that's, there's still work to be done. So you're, you're really well on the way, aren't you? So you, you appreciate that. So tell me, uh, what was landing like for you? And, uh, and then the rest of the time that you were there, how was that? You know, landing for, for as much anxiety and fear as I've always had around flying, landing has always been my favorite part because, you know, hey, if something horrible happens, at least we're on the ground for it. Yeah, we survived so, another one. Yeah, that's exactly it. The The only worry that I had this time was, um, you know, the notion that, you know, maybe something was happening on the runway uh, where we'd have to do a go around. Okay. Um, so th that was kind of the the primary worry as we were approaching the ground was you know let's let's get these wheels firmly on terra firma and mm -hmm. you know let's get this vacation on with but had a very smooth landing got into germany it was a, a nasty rainy day so not much to look forward to that morning but i i i physically cheered when we hit the ground because i was able to look out the window and say you know i just mm -hmm. crossed an ocean i i crossed a 10-year fear I crossed an ocean and, and now I'm finally over here. And it just felt like such an immensely uh, personal achievement. Yeah. yeah. Even putting aside all the things that I was looking forward to doing, 
on the vacation. So even though it was nasty and rainy outside, it was still nice and sunny and bright in my head. Yeah, I like that. That's a proper, that's a proper moment there, isn't it? Where you bought something and you did that. Even from the moment you drove yourself to the airport, you were making decisions differently and deciding to 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 embrace things, move towards it, window blinds up, four check boxes for the duration, two turbulence, you're moving towards stuff. That's that's just amazing. And so you were there over in um, Berlin for how long? Uh, just a week. It was a pretty quick trip, um, mm. but I managed to pack in a lot of fun while I was there. Um, I bought sort of an all-inclusive pass, so I just kind of forced myself to go yeah. to uh, tons of museums, do all these tours, um, meet a bunch of people, you know, go to great new restaurants and um, just see all the history that's packed there in the city. So it was the, the awesome a, city, isn't it? Incredible. I can't wait to go back when the weather's a little bit nicer. Yeah. Now I love, I love Berlin and people. Fantastic. Yeah. Just a fabulous city. One of my favorites, you know, and what about knowing you had to fly back was there any sort of anticipatory anxiety during the week you were there or any dread at all or anything you know i i hate to make myself sound like superman but really there was here we go there was <laughs> there was none i i flew out on saturday morning friday absolutely no anxiety yeah. my my number one concern was where i'm going to be able to find another good donor kebab in the city i was completely in the moment, not worried at all. You know, there was some anxiety around navigating the bus system and public yeah. transit to make yeah. sure I actually, you know, got to my flight on time. But yeah, it, in the way of anxiety about the actual flight, nothing. Cause I feel like I've kind of already done the work. I understood what I needed to do to reach a level of peace with it. And I, you know, had it sitting in my notebook waiting for me when I got on the plane. I love that. Where can I find the Donna kebab? That's the biggest worry. Well, you know, that is at a, a certain time in the evening. That is a concern. That is a major priority. It gets a little bit icy, yeah. So what about the flight back? How was it? Flight back was great. Um, I managed to get in a couple hours of sleep. Woke up and there was just a little bit of turbulence. And I just thought to myself, you know, hey, it's kind of nice to be rocked to sleep. Mm. And also I, I, you. I I don't know. I don't know who I am anymore, Paul. I look in the mirror at the same face, but I feel like a different person. Amazing. Did you eat on the flight? Uh, yeah, they go to the uh, toilet, go to walk about. That's I, I, I mean, this is all the stuff of dreams, isn't it? Eh? It really is. Yeah, they they brought lunch out for us. Um, I I did manage to go to the restroom. I found, found the courage. The flight over there, I wouldn't dare get out of my seat. You know, as much as I talk a big game, I still wanted to be firmly planted. Yeah. But yeah, on the flight back, I figured, why not? You know, let's let's yeah. get up, let's go visit yeah. the lavatory. You know, let's enjoy the meal, let's stretch our legs a little bit. So, so yeah, I, even between the first and the second flight, there's some significant improvement, isn't there, Crikey? Yeah, I um, again, I just figured if I'm going to do this, I want to do it a hundred percent. I I don't want there to be any limitations for myself while I'm conquering this. So. Oh, amazing. What a great story that was, honestly. And, and thank you for doing the details. I thought you were going to be a little bit uh, reductionist then. You were, going to, you were just, you give me the big picture. I went there. I mean, you know, so uh, thank you for doing the detail. Because that's the stuff which really helps people. It's like, what was your process? Yeah. And so what about what's next for you then in terms of flying? 
you're going to love this one, Paul. So, I buy this license. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've I've got a friend who does have her private pilot's license, and we, we chatted a little bit before my trip, and she said, "Oh, things are easy once you get up yeah. there." I'm like, "Yeah, well, be we'll careful now. Gita's going to be on to you. She'll be nabbing you for her little little school. It's just Gita's school." Yeah. Yeah. So uh, next steps for me is I have actually already booked my next flight and it's in just about three weeks. And two? I am going to visit some family. Uh, It's a little bit of a spontaneous trip, but I I figured I would like to keep things in motion while I've still got this big Mm -hmm. well of courage Mm -hmm. um, inside of me. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be making, it's a pretty short trip compared to the transatlantic one, you know, just a few hours, but yeah. I, you know, I figured strike while the iron's hot. No, I agree. And it's important to cement the learning, isn't it? And just keep reinforcing it. Oh, I love that. So I'm going to push you for one more thing. Cause this story has been great with patch sure. of tips and stuff, but if you had to kind of do a sum up, you've noticed this as you've listened to 50 of the podcast, always ask people at the end, kind of what's your a little bit of wisdom or gift of hope that you would give to anybody's listening thinking, yeah, it's all right for you, mate, but what about me? I I think the biggest thing is just that you are, if when you decide to overcome your fear of flying, you are tackling a huge challenge. Mm. And I would encourage people just be gentle with yourself because you might see other people who say, oh, it was so simple you know, for them to do it, but here I am dealing yeah. with this massive ball of anxiety. It's when you have a fear like that, it becomes so deep-seated and so tangled. Mm-hmm. And untangling it takes intention and it takes time more than anything. Yeah, yeah. My recommendation for people is just try to make it part doesn't need to be part of your everyday, but just try to make it part of your regular life. Yeah. Whether it's listening to a podcast once a week while you're on a walk or sitting down for a video, you know, the once every couple of weeks or so, just try to find time in your schedule where you can fit it in. Doesn't need to be an hour or two, it can just be 10, 15 minutes here or there, mm. but really just try to make it part of your every day and when you expose yourself to it just time and time again it starts to feel a little bit less scary a little bit more doable and eventually uh unlike me you're going to be able to click that button that says you know buy this ticket to wherever you want to go with a little bit more confidence yeah love that and i'm I'm assuming did you buy this next ticket yourself i did yeah. There we go. See, we small movement. <laughs> oh, what a great story, Chris! Thank you so much. I really, oh, there were some really lovely bits there, and the process that you went through and breaking it down, and your your yeah, your whole thought process was fascinating to listen to, and uh, and literally, I think somebody who's might be struggling could go oh, that actually quite like that. There's there's some bits that they could just use, you know, straight away. Amazing. Thank you. It's uh, thank, Yeah, again, sure thing. Anytime. And uh, again, just thank you. You and the folks who've been on the podcast are just so helpful. I mean, I've just got tons and tons of notes oh, yeah. from all sorts of episodes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and every single one of them was just so instrumental in getting me to where I am now. So mm. 
I, I've got this flight coming up here in a couple of weeks. And then next year, my mom turns 70. So we're going to fly out to Yosemite. Um, and she's always wanted to see all the national parks while she's yeah. still able to. So yeah. I've uh, got a couple of trips in the books and it's, I, I really have you to thank for it. Uh, well, thank you. Um, that's very kind of you and gracious. Uh, yeah, that's very gracious of you. However, you did the work. You know, so we, we put the stuff out there. You've grabbed it and used it. Um, your self-drive and commitment has made the difference because, you know, some people will sample some of the podcasts and, and say, oh, I've listened to the podcast and nothing's working. But I think you can't just listen passively. You've got to be active like you were doing, were doing notes. Because I think there's a little, there's nuggets in every single episode. And, you know, the way that's, whether it's a true story from somebody or whether it's an expert, there's, there's always something that you can get if you just give yourself permission to to listen out for it and be ready for it. And people aren't always necessarily ready, but you clearly turn the corner and just thought, that's enough, you know. Brilliant, honestly. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, amazing. Thank you very much, mate. That was just top. Thank you, Paul. I'm I'm so super excited. It's it really does feel like I've turned a corner in my life, and you know I've got, I've got all sorts of other things I need to tackle in my personal life. But this was this was a huge one, you know. It's yeah. um, and you know maybe uh, maybe I can go see some prettier parts of the world and do some more of that untangling all the other stuff while I'm on a beach or something. So yeah, exactly. No, that's the oh phenomenal. Thank you for listening to the Love Fly podcast. I hope you're finding it helpful with your fear of flying. Now, if you do need some extra tailored help, you can go to our website, lovefly.co.uk and click on the courses button. You'll find more help there, such as our 30-day program and our on-demand webinar. Thanks again. See you next time.